Good morning. It's a joy to be with you in worship for those who are in the room or in the building and those who are joining us online. And for all, I hope that you guys are staying safe and warm this morning. And today we end, this is the last message in the series that we've been doing through Advent and Christmas, which is entitled Becoming Human, the Implications of the Incarnation. And, you know, it's been popular in the last uh, few decades, I would say, to have a statement or a phrase that says something like, keep Christ in Christmas. And amidst the swirl of Christmas decorations and uh, gift buying and Santa Claus, oftentimes Jesus kind of gets pushed to the side and, and gets lost in the mix. And Jesus is definitely the reason for the season. And we love the Christmas story, right? We love the obedience and the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph and all that they overcame to be a part of God's redemptive plan to bring his son Jesus here to the earth. We, we love the angels announcing to the lowly shepherds the gift of the Messiah, the, the birth of the baby. Uh, we love the manger scene. We love the birth of Jesus in a stable of all places. I mean, it's just a remarkable story, isn't it? Uh, Every children's Christmas play has a manger scene in it. Everybody loves the story of the birth of a baby, and that's often the end of the Christmas story. We celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas. Uh, We have family get-togethers. We share wonderful meals together. We exchange gifts with each other. We celebrate the new year, and then we hope that the next year is going to be better than the last year, and then life moves on and Christmas moves to the back of our, our memories. Have you ever seen a children's Christmas play that has the scene with Herod and the part that he plays in the Christmas story? I don't think I've ever seen one that includes Herod as a part of this, the play. Uh, do you, when you read the Christmas story on Christmas morning, do you read the part that talks about G- Herod trying to get rid of the baby Jesus? So often we, uh, we don't include Herod in this, in this important part of the story. And I think it's important to keep King Herod, the man who tried to kill Christmas, in the Christmas story. I think it reminds us that evil was present into the world in which Jesus was born into. That Jesus was born in very vulnerable circumstances. Some of you might be in some vulnerable circumstances today. Uh, maybe, you know, an evil king isn't trying to kill you, but maybe you've lost a loved one recently and it feels heavy and hard right now. Maybe work isn't going so well and, and your income and your job is on the line. Maybe your marriage is struggling and you're not sure if it's going to be able to survive or not. Maybe your health is compromised and you, you this, the future is uncertain. There are dozens of uncertain circumstances that you might find yourself in today. And maybe you ha- you're not in one of those circumstances, but in recent memory you were. Or, you know, in 2022, some of us are probably going to have some of those unforeseen circumstances that are going to come up and kind of grab a hold of us in some difficult ways. The Christmas story part two this morning offers us hope that God is working and God can overcome whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, whatever uncertainty we face. I want us to look again at the story that Tammy just read. 
Jesus has been born. His family is still in Bethlehem, we're told in the story. And the Magi all of a sudden show up in Jerusalem, announcing that they're here because they've heard that the king of the Jews has been born. And they they saw a star that arose in the east, and they followed the star to, to this part of the world. And they're here to worship this newborn king of the Jews. So now, what do we know about these Magi? They're interesting men, really. And so... These are guys that really were into growing in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. They studied a lot of different things at that time. They uh, studied religions. They studied philosophy. They studied and learned magic. Um, they, they just were very diverse. They studied astronomy. And one of the other things we should know about these guys is that they are not Jewish, right? They're from another country. They're from the East And so they're not one of the Jewish people. They were Gentiles. And so how did they come to Jerusalem to worship the king of the Jews? Well, they would have learned about this prophesied king of the Jews back hundreds of years before when their country or their part of the world had taken the Jewish people as captives and brought them back to Babylon and to Persia. And so when those Jewish people came and were captives, they also brought with them God's word or God's scripture. Uh, They told these uh, stories, these prophecies to the Persians, to their leaders. And so these magi, like previous leaders before them, had studied these scriptures, these prophecies. They knew about a prophecy of, of of a great king coming out of Israel in the future. And so when the star appears, they take it as a sign that this Messiah has been born. And so they follow that star, they follow it to Israel, they end up in Jerusalem asking all these questions. Where is the king of the Jews that's been born? Well, the word of these magi who are seeking this king of the Jews that's been born comes to King Herod, the king of the region at the time. And maybe the Jewish leaders and even Herod had heard about a couple of years some rumors floating about that the temple shepherds had had some angels who had come to them and revealed to them that a Messiah had been born in Bethlehem, and yet those were rumors that didn't seem to be too threatening to them, and so that was just kind of in the past. But when the Magi from the east show up in Jerusalem, and they give the ba- this baby the title, the King of the Jews, a title that's given to King Herod by Octavius and Mark Antony, this gets Herod's attention. There's another king that's been born in this region? He wanted to know about this situation. And we've got to understand a little bit about King Herod. He had spent his entire life, like many of us, trying to protect and preserve and control events and outcomes. Uh, Herod would stop at nothing, however, to stay in control and to stay in power. He was a bad man. George Thorogood in his song would say he's bad to the bone. This guy was a bad and evil dude, okay? He, uh, he even went so far as to kill members of his own family to stay in control. If Herod suspected that somebody might be a rival to his power, that person was put to death. The older that Herod got, the more paranoid he became. He killed his own wife. He killed his mother-in-law. I mean, talk about not liking your mother-in-law. The guy killed his own mother-in-law. He killed his oldest son, who he felt threatened by. He killed two other of his sons, who he was threatened by. Augustus, the Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman emperor at the time, said this about Herod. This is recorded in history books, that it was better to be Herod's pig than to be his son. That's how bad of a guy Herod was, okay? And so it would come as no surprise 
that when Herod heard that the newborn king of the Jews had come into the world, that he became very troubled by this news. And so Herod hatches a scheme to trick the Magi into helping him find or discover who this child is. Uh, He wants to eliminate this child, eliminate this threat to his kingship. And so he convinces the Magi to go and find the child and to worship him and, and to find the child in Bethlehem and then to come back and tell him who the child is and where he can find the child so he can come and worship the child, which translates to kill the child. That's what the goal was for Herod. And so the Magi, we're told, follow the star into Bethlehem. They, it comes in over a home in Bethlehem. They find Jesus and his family in a home in Bethlehem. And we're told in Scripture that they bow down and they worship Jesus, the child. And not only do they worship him, but they give these amazing gifts to Jesus and to his family. They give gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And these gifts would have been super valuable. This would have been worth way more than than Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, would have ever earned in his entire lifetime. Tremendously valuable. And God invited these guys into his redemptive plan of bringing his son to to earth and, and to provide resources for this family as they're going to soon become refugees as they're on the run from King Herod. And so through their worship and their generous gifts, Jesus' family is provided with resources to become refugees on the run from a murderous king. And we see through these magi the fullness of God's redemptive plan at work. And I want us just to kind of think about the trajectory of God's redemptive plan who brings... And how it brings these magi to come and worship and provide resources for this family in the story at Christmas. And so we go back hundreds of years earlier, right? And we studied this back in the fall when we were reading the prophets and how, how God had been working with his people Israel. And, and Israel was, was disobeying him and they were turning their back on him and they were rebelling against him. And, and God was trying many different ways to, to bring them back to him. And yet they kept rejecting him and turning to other gods and, and, and turning away from him. And finally, God removes his hand of blessing and protection from Israel. And what happens? The other countries come in and they conquer Israel and they take the Jewish people, many of them, into captivity back to lands like Babylon and and Persia and other places like that. And so these Jewish people, hundreds of years earlier, had gone back into Persia. And when they came as captives, they brought God's word. They brought scripture with them and they brought the prophecies and and some of them were even the prophets themselves who were writing what God was revealing to them. And these things were shared with the Persian people and with the Persian leaders. And so people like the Magi who were many years before them had recorded all these things and they had taken the scriptures and they were studying. And so these Magi had studied these prophecies. They knew the prophecies about the the Christ child, the Messiah, who was going to come out of Israel and was going to be born the king of the Jews. And so uh, literally when they see the star in the sky and they recognize that this is a sign that the the, the king has been born, and they follow the star, they follow it to Israel, they follow it to Jerusalem, and ultimately they follow it to this home in Bethlehem. And they bring with them these wonderful gifts as they intend to worship this king, and they give the gifts to the family. Do you see God's hand running through the story in the pages of history, his redemptive plan that now brings the Magi to Jesus and to his family in a very timely place, where the resources that they bring, the gifts they bring, would become the very means that would provide the, the resources for his family to run and to live in Egypt. 
You know, when I think about that, it also causes me to pause and think, you know, can you see God's hand at work in your own life? At times where you faced difficulties, you weren't sure how things were going to be provided for you, and yet God demonstrated his faithfulness and, and overcame whatever circumstances you faced. I know, looking back at my own story, that I can see dozens of places where God has intervened and God has provided in ways that maybe I didn't expect or, or were unexpected, but yet God came through. We're told next in the story that the Magi are warned in a dream not to go back and report to King Herod that they found the child. They instead are warned to go back home another way, and so they do so. And in their faithfulness to this, uh, this, this God speaking to them in a dream, they go way out of their way. To go back through Jerusalem would have been the shortest way for them to go back to their home country, and that they go back around in at least three to four more days. And these guys had traveled over 900 miles one way to come and worship this king, and so they sacrificed even more to make sure that the news didn't get out of who the child was and where, what home he could be found in. They protect Jesus and the family from Herod's wrath. And immediately we're told in the story that an angel comes to Joseph in a dream at night, and he's warned to take the child and his mother to Egypt because King Herod is looking for the child, and he's gonna, he intends to kill the child. And quickly, Joseph wakes up in the middle of the night. He gets his family up in the middle of the night, and they leave in the middle of the night, and they go to Egypt. We don't know a lot about Joseph uh, from the New Testament, but what little we know, we, there's some things that we, I think, can discern from this man that uh, is the earthly father, the earthly protector of Jesus. One, he listens to God, right? He responds when God speaks to him through an angel, and this happens on at least three occasions in the scripture. We also know that he's obedient, right? Immediately, Immediately when Joseph uh, heard through the dream an angel speaking to him and warning him of what Herod was going to try to do, he immediately gets up in the middle of the night. He doesn't wait till the next morning. He doesn't wait until the next day to go to Egypt. They leave in the middle of the night. And he's a father who is protective and who provides for his family. Joseph's faithfulness, I think, is a model that we can pursue in our own faith journey. You know, we, we don't hear very often right now of angels appearing to people on earth or of God speaking through dreams, but we have the benefits. We have benefits that Joseph didn't have those years ago. You know, we have the fullness of God's Word, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We can read and know and hear God's Word and God speaking to us through His Word. We also have God's Spirit who resides in each one of us who follow Jesus, the Spirit of God who guides us and leads us and warns us. This is God speaking to us through His Spirit today. And so my encouragement is may we be as attuned to God's voice as Joseph was. May we be as obedient to God's leading and God's will as Joseph was. You know, life through Joseph, another unexpected curveball, right? I mean, you know, about a year or two before this, you know, we have the whole story of uh, his engaged fiance is pregnant, and an angel speaks to him and says, this is of God, and you need to marry her and take care of this baby. And now he's told that Herod, this great and evil king in the region, is looking for their child and is attempting to kill him. And so... With little warning, Joseph adapts quickly. You know, some of the dangers of life that come along uh, the way, we can anticipate. We can see some of those things 
coming. And, and we can make decisions with God's wisdom and direction to adjust as best as we can. Yet there are going to be difficulties. There's going to be hardships that come our way that we never see coming. We don't see. We don't know that they're coming. And the secret is to persevere through them. To keep going, even when things are harder than we thought they would be. You may not have foreseen it, but God did. God knew what was coming. There's nothing that surprises God. You know, when you think that Herod set out the secret plot to find where Jesus was, do you think that God somehow went, oh no, what do I do now? I didn't see this coming. No. God knew what was in Herod's heart. He knew what was coming. We do not see what's coming in advance, but God does. So we keep following him. We keep listening to his voice, and we keep doing what he says, and God will help us overcome. Not without difficulties, but we will overcome by God's provision and God's grace. The scene shifts back to Herod. The baby and the family have escaped safely to Egypt, and now the scene comes back to Herod. And Herod eventually realizes that the Magi are on to him. They have not come back to him. They have not reported to him. And he realizes he doesn't know who the baby is. He doesn't know what part of Bethlehem the baby's been born in. He doesn't know. And so in his infinite evil wisdom, Herod decides he's going to fix that problem. He decides he's going to kill every two-year-old baby boy and younger in the town in the region of Bethlehem. He's going to do that to ensure that some child king is not going to threaten his position and his power. And so, therefore, tragedy enters the Christmas story in this moment. We don't know how many children were killed. We know that Bethlehem was a small village. Uh, Historians and scholars would estimate that somewhere between 10 and 30 children were most likely killed because of what Herod decided to do. And I can't imagine the heartache of those families, of those parents, the heartache of this small town called Bethlehem. You know, uh, Matthew records the heaviness, the sadness in verse 16 in this chapter. And he quotes a verse when he says this from Jeremiah 31, 15. And this is what his word says. He says, A voice is heard in Ramah, Weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. You know, we we look at the heart of the Christmas story and it's a, a baby who poses such a threat to an important, powerful man that this king is willing to take out a whole village of baby boys in order to try to get rid of this king of the Jews that he has been told has been born. Jesus was born into a world that was full of uncertainty, difficulties, challenges, and outright evil. It's the way the world was, and it's the way the world is today. All we have to do is watch the world news for any length of time. We learn that there are still too many wars that exist where innocent children and families are killed. There's still too many Herods that exist in our world today. And life in of itself brings all kinds of difficulties. You know, the windstorm a couple of weeks ago that came through central Kansas, we know that there are people in our own community that have faced hardship because of what has happened because of that windstorm. Last Thursday, the firestorms in Boulder in in, uh, Denver suburbs that literally destroyed hundreds of homes. 
You know, we learned uh, yesterday that the pastor of Ascent Covenant Church in Louisville, Colorado, he, he lost his home in the fire. Uh, we know that uh, uh, Patty and Brent Thompson, who used to be members of this church, their son and his family lost their home in the fire on Thursday. You know, these are things I'm sure that these people did not see coming. These are challenges in life that they did not know were going to happen. You know, there's still diseases like cancer and COVID and dozens of others that still take people too young and too many today. There's children's lives that are dramatically changed when mom and dad get divorced. It's even easy to point out the evil in the Herods in our world that exists. But, you know, if we look deep enough in our own hearts, we find evil that has impacted even our own lives and even the relationships that we are connected to. We are desperate for a Savior. We're desperate for someone powerful enough to save us from our sins and to save us from the sins of others, to forgive our sins and to help us to forgive others, and to turn our hearts away from self-seeking evil and toward God and compassion of others. Like a drowning person crying for help, we plead for a Savior, for one who can save us from the evil, turn us from our sinful selves, and root out the Herod that still exists in our own hearts. Christmas is the hinge of history. Bethlehem marks this incredible encounter between God's goodness on the one hand and humanity's inhumanity toward one another on the other. It's the encounter between salvation and self-centered sin, between God and evil, between a savior and the satanic Herod. The reality of Christmas is that God loves us so much that he came down into the muck to be with us to be like us in order to save us. And it wasn't easy. We know that from the story, right? Jesus was born in a feeding trough in a stable, right? A stinky stable, I'm sure. He was born to peasant parents. He was born poor and even homeless. Uh, He was wrapped in dirty cloths. And even though the Magi came from the east and they followed this newborn king's star because they saw it and they wanted to honor the newborn king of the Jews, still we know from the story that most of the world resisted his leadership, his kingship. And at the heart of the Christmas story is a baby who will become the Lord of the whole world. And within a generation, we know also that his followers will be persecuted by the empire as a danger to good order. Whatever else you say about Jesus from his birth onward, people certainly found him to be a threat. In fact, the shadow of the cross falls right here at the story of Christmas from this moment on. Jesus was born in a land uh, at at a time of trouble and tension and violence and fear. And forget about all the thoughts of a peaceful Christmas scene at this moment, right? Before the Prince of Peace was able to talk and walk, he had a price on his head and there were refugees running to Egypt. Nonetheless, in Jesus, even when things are their darkest, we see the fulfillment of Scripture. This is how our our Savior was to appear. This is how God said he was going to go about redeeming his people and bringing salvation to the whole world. There is no point uh, when the God of love to arrive in a world and in comfort when the world is in misery. There's no point in Jesus having an easy life when the world suffers violence and injustice. If Jesus is God with us, he must be with us where the pain is. 
If Jesus is God with us, He is with us. He must be where the He, would, he must be with us where the pain is, and He is, and He is. And Jesus experienced all the pain and difficulty of life that you and I experience. Jesus comes and meets us where we are. He, he Jesus meets the the mother who's been diagnosed with stage four cancer in the doctor's office. Jesus meets the the dad whose heart is broken because. His wife has left the marriage. Jesus meets the student who's lonely and in despair and discouraged because he or she has no friends. Jesus meets us in life's hard places and walks with us to help us to overcome. God is always with us. That's the message of Christmas. He's always with us. He's always pursuing us. He's always seeking to save us, always loving us, no matter where we find ourselves. And where do you find yourself now? Wherever you are, Jesus is right there with you, calling you out of the muck and the sin of life, calling you to follow him with new life, into a a relationship with God and love for each person that we encounter. Uh, As we conclude celebrating Christmas and we enter a new year, may a spirit of peace and joy flood our lives and our hearts and our souls. Why? Because God came into Herod's world, into our world, into your world, into my world, to overcome. Not just to overcome, but to transform, to change evil into goodness, hatred into love, violence into peace, sin into salvation. Let's keep Herod in Christmas to remember that a world which is saturated in sin desperately needs a Savior who can transform human hearts. Let's allow Jesus to root out the evil that's in our hearts, in our city, and in our world. Let's live into our calling given by God to go and make disciples. Disciples in our family, disciples in our neighborhood, disciples at church, disciples at work, disciples uh, at school. Disciples for Christ, for the transformation of the world. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise and glory. We thank you for the story of Christ's birth, the story of God becoming human, the story of you taking on our flesh, of you coming in Jesus, coming into a world that was a mess, into a world that was desperate, into a world that had evil at work, into a world that had leaders like Herod. And God, you came because we needed a Savior. We needed someone who would come and transform our hearts, not only the world. And God, we're grateful that in the story we see the so many ways that you overcame the evil plans to destroy your son before you ever had a chance to do the work that was necessary to be the Messiah. That, God, we see and we know through Scripture that you can come overcome anything, that all things are possible through you. And, God, we're grateful that even when we face difficult, unknown circumstances, that we have hope because, God, we follow you. We follow a God who has resources who are unlimitless. We follow a God who's overcome so many great things and who promises us that we, too, shall overcome. And so, God, we pray that we might be found faithful, faithful with this incredible story, this message of hope that comes through your son, Jesus, faithful to share this great 
story with so many who are desperate, who are hopeless, who need a Savior as well. God, we pray that you give us strength and courage to face whatever trial or or difficult circumstance we might find ourselves in. And God, we're grateful that we don't face that alone, but we face it with the God who is with us. And so, Father, we pray this in your Son's precious name. Amen.